with that, I, I probably took the train, oh gosh, easily hundreds of times in the UK. And particularly a company called First Great Western, which operated out of the West Country. Um, and I, th I reckon I might have even pushed a thousand journeys in, in First Great Western. I took it heaps growing up. And I miss it here. And I was thinking of a, a couple of moments on First Great Western. And one of them was on the way to a place called Bradford-on-Avon, which is a little wee town just outside of Bath. Hands up if you've been to Bradford-on-Avon. Whoa! Wow. Center of the universe. And I was on my way to Bradford-on-Avon, and I like a good yarn on public transport. And I just got chatting to these, these people, and they were Aussies. Even better, I can start pulling their legs. And um, we had the cricket coming up between England and Australia. And for those who uh, aren't initiated, you play for something called the Ashes. And it's a long story as to why it's called the Ashes, but it is what it is. And I decided to make a line or a joke like, well, you guys being over here, it's the closest you're going to get to the Ashes, isn't it? And I could just tell as soon as I said it, there wasn't something hostile in the bloke's eyes, but something wasn't right. And so he said, well, actually, I'm, I'm here with my mum's ashes. And we're actually on the way to bury her ashes in her birthplace. Oh, man. <laughs> the rest of that train journey was long. It was a long seven and a half minutes or so. Another moment, um, late 2015, uh, I was in Bristol, uh, which is oh, probably about 11-minute train journey from Bath. And I was praying about whether to move to New Zealand, because by that stage, God had really made it clear I needed to go to New Zealand. I was pretty confident it was Christchurch as well. Um, he just kept getting me again and again and again. But I just was like, God, I don't want to go if you're not calling me there. If, you, if you're not in this, I don't want a bar of it. And so I spent this whole morning just praying in Bristol. I'd taken myself out of my hometown, Bath, to do so. And I got to the stage where I was like, right, I'm going to go unless you tell me otherwise. So I get on the train, and first Great Western, and sit randomly in these seats, uh, or seat, and um, I just hear these two people talking in front of me. And I think, that's a Kiwi accent. So there's a bit of Antipodean theme to the train journeys. Uh, and I start talking to them again, and I said, hey, I'm, I'm Seb, I'm thinking of maybe moving to your country. And this woman uh, says, oh, cool, what do you do? I said, I'm a youth worker in Bath. She looks me square in the eye and says, go to Christchurch. I can't remember anything else from that. I couldn't tell you what she looked like. I was just... And on that note, we're going to get into Luke chapter 2 this morning. So crank open the Bibles, blow the dust off them. And let's take a butcher's Luke chapter 2, verses 22 to 32. Luke chapter 2, verses 22 to 32. And when the time came for their purification according to the law of Moses, they brought Jesus up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. And to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple, 
And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the customs of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. Cool. So part two, Holy Spirit series. Um, Just a few things to talk about the context of this passage before we do a bit of a deep dive. Firstly, I love the beginning of Luke because he talks about the, or writes about the build-up to Jesus' birth. He writes about Jesus' birth itself, and then he gives us some information like this passage for a period after Jesus' birth. And then further on in Luke chapter 2, we have Jesus at 12 years old, amazing the teachers, uh, well, leaving the teachers of the law amazed at the temple. So he gives this beautiful start to, to the gospel account. And getting into our passage uh, for a bit more context, verse 22 gives us a really specific point to where this young family were at in following the law of Moses. If we cross-reference verse 22 with Leviticus 12, we can find out uh, that Jesus was 40 days old at this point. New parents, figuring it all out without any books or Instagram hacks. I wonder if that raises some memories for some people. Verse 24 also tells us that Mary and Joseph uh, were about to offer a sacrifice of two turtle doves or two pigeons. And we know again, cross-referencing Leviticus 12, that they couldn't afford a lamb. So, important point, Mary and Joseph were not well off. They were not rich, and arguably they were quite poor in the context of the society they were in. And we'll come back to that later. But for now, enter stage left, Simeon. Or as someone in this church very helpfully told me in the build-up to this talk, Simon spelt wrong. So we have Simeon. And we know nothing about this fella other than what the passage offers up to us. The only thing I want to, or the only other thing I want to comment on at this stage in terms of context is what Simeon was waiting for. In verse 25, uh, Simeon was, uh, is said to be waiting for the consolation of Israel. And that was the hope that the Lord would come and rescue and comfort his people. That he would bring uh, someone to do that. And specifically, verse 26 tells us this was the Lord's Christ he was waiting for. Specifically, God's anointed one, a savior. Radio, the passage itself, we're going get, to get to do a deep dive now, so strap yourselves in. There was something about this, this passage which really leapt up at me when I, when I first read it. And that was Simeon's connection with the Holy Spirit. Quite handy when you're doing a preaching series on Holy Spirit. Verse 25, the Holy Spirit was upon him. Verse 26, the Holy Spirit was revealing things to him. Verse 27, Simeon came in the Spirit into the temple. Three verses, three descriptions of this connection between Holy Spirit and Simeon. Lukey, my man, what are you trying to get at? Straight off the bat, it's really clear um, that these three descriptions are dynamic and they're filled with movement. And this isn't just unique to this passage. There are all sorts of similar descriptions used in the Bible to talk about Holy Spirit's connection with individuals or people. We've got rushed upon, the Holy Spirit came upon people, 
poured out on, filled with, strengthened through, revealed through, empowered by, given to. These are all words or phrases which really um, convey a lot of movement and dynamism. And they're also, particularly these three verses, painting a real clear picture of an intimate partnership with Holy Spirit and Simeon. Now, here's the thing. We have Luke, who we know is a physician, a man used to medical-grade precision. I mean, this guy's really on it in that sort of area. And he's just given us three descriptions in a row, three verses in a row of the Holy Spirit's uh, partnership and connection with Simeon. I don't think he's saying the same thing three times by accident. So again, Luke, what are you getting at? I think he's saying three different things with a lot of overlap. And it's the last one that really piqued my interest. Verse 27, Simeon came in the spirit into the temple. What does that mean? What does that mean to come in the spirit into a place? Perhaps this is just referring to believers having the Spirit in them. Well, well, just on that last point, Simeon, even though this is written in the New Testament, Simeon is before the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. He's effectively an Old Testament believer in a way. And just as as we um, look back to the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, Simeon looked forward to that, literally in this passage, looked forward to it. And he was born of the Spirit, but he didn't have the, the Spirit poured out on him. That happened from Pentecost onwards. He didn't have the Holy Spirit as his helper. So no, it's, it's not just another phrase of talking about the Holy Spirit being in Simeon. I naturally therefore went through my Bible app and looked at every single reference to in the Spirit. <laughs> and geeked up hard. And I think there's a few things to, to say on being in the Spirit. And we're really diving deep on just this, this phrase for the moment. Paul writes to the Ephesians in, um, well, in, in chapter 6 of that, in verse 18, and then again in his letter to Jude in uh, chapter 1, verse 20. And he writes about um, praying in the Spirit. And more than that, it's not just an encouragement, but it's, it's a real like command, pray in the Spirit. It's an exhortation. But the way he phrases it gives the, the direct um, implication that it is possible to pray in the Spirit, and not pray in the Spirit. So, what's that all about? Now, Holy Spirit may always be with us right now and willing as believers, but sometimes we're distracted and unaware, or just downright sinning and moving in a different direction to Him. But praying in the Spirit is simply, if we're to keep it really simple, settling into that intimate partnership we have with Him welcoming him, remembering him, opening our heart up to him again, listening to him, being led by him. And that's a very simple definition, but I think from that simple definition, we can springboard into all sorts of areas in the spirit from that. Put it this way, um, you're going to like this next bit. The best rugby side I've ever seen, hands down, and again, I've seen probably hundreds of rugby games live growing up, um, albeit a lot of them in England, so not as good quality, but there we go. The best rugby team I've ever seen was the All Black side of 2015 at the World Cup in the UK. And Dad and I got tickets for the quarterfinal against the French, and they smoked them. 
which was great. Um, but the, the, the quality was just off this scale. The way they, they just went about things. But what really struck me is they did this drill before the game and at half time, which is probably one of the first rugby drills I learned this high. They hadn't moved on from it, but they did it exceptionally well. They never moved on from the basics, but they just nailed it. And I think there's, there's a bit of an overlap here in terms of we never move on from the basics as Christians. We just springboard off them. We just go deeper in them. A quote from um, Martin Lloyd-Jones, an absolute heavyweight in the, the 20th century, an incredible man of faith and, and a towering intellect, said this, being in the spirit is not a skill to attain. And this is where it's different to the ABs in a way. It is a gift already given that we keep on receiving. It just cuts through all the striving, and it just keeps it really simple. To give an example of this, um, I've been, as I said last week, I've been getting involved in Stack a lot more recently. Um, and St. Andrew's College, for those who don't know what Stack is. And it's easy to go into a school that large with all sorts going on and just be, you, you can be tugged in different directions, you can be overwhelmed by an individual story, you can be overwhelmed by the need in the school, you can... There's all sorts going on, right? And there's all sorts of different push and pull factors. But I've just loved going in and being like, hey, God. Not even just saying the words, but just relaxing into him. Like I said, that intimate partnership we have, just choosing to receive, choosing to rest. Rather than me going in and starting to flirt with like Messiah complex or something like that, you know, just instead just, ah. Just cuts through all the striving with false responsibility. And it's amazing what starts happening when we rest in, in him in that way. Now, I have a dance analogy, which is dangerous because I like to move around the stage and I like to gesticulate, but I'm praying that um, there'll be no prophetic dance ministry born in me as I share this dance analogy. But, um, no, yeah, I know. I know a lot of you would take a lot of joy in the Lord at that. Um, yeah, nah. But praying in the Spirit or being in the Spirit, or, or maybe let's start off with not being in the Spirit, because this is quite helpful. Because we might think, well, what is, hang on, what is not praying in the Spirit like? Well, imagine you are doing ballroom dancing, and you have a dance partner, and your favorite ballroom jam comes on. Your favorite ballroom song just comes on. And you're like, I love this song. And you've got your partner, but you're just off. You've just gone off on one. And you're standing on their feet, you're treading on your feet, you've nearly knocked over Aunt Mildred, you've got a dangerous course going towards the birthday cake, it's just, it's not good, it feels rough, it's, it's not in time, it's not intuitive, it's clunky, it feels clunky, it looks clunky, uh, although at times maybe we think we're having a well of time and we're, having, we're doing the right thing. Now, when we're praying in the Spirit, on the other hand, Imagine having the Holy Spirit as your lead. We surrender control. We let him lead. We trust him. We enjoy the intimate partnership and the connection and that synergy, that, that intuitive understanding. And sure, it's not about perfection. It's not about performance being in the Spirit. We, aren't, we can't just be freaking out about where I'm going to put my left foot or my right foot. But, you know, there's an enjoyment of that. There's an enjoyment of receiving the gift of his leadership and his partnership. Two extremes, two big extremes. And then thinking about our daily lives, well, not praying in the Spirit 
okay, well, I'm not seeing the breakthrough I want to see at work, so I'm just going to have to add another 15 minutes to my prayer life every week until I see the breakthrough that I need. Oh, gee, that sounds exhausting. And there's a time and place for, for putting a, an effort into something, but it, we can just go on ahead of him, like that dance analogy. Well, what about that, that work meeting that's really difficult, and then halfway through we just go, thank you, Holy Spirit. What do you want to show me? Lead me in the Spirit in this moment. When I was an 18-year-old, in my bedroom, I gave my life to Jesus. And I said, my life is yours now. I surrendered my life to God. And I think all of us who have become believers, we joyfully do that to the one who is perfect love. And he takes us up on that. <laughs> and I think these sorts of moments, sure, there's, there's times where we choose to step into the Spirit. But there are times to continue the dancing analogy, we just get swooped up. We just get swooped up by his leading. I think of that, that train story, not the one with the ashes, but the other one. Man, like in that moment where she said, go to Christchurch, I, I can't even tell you what was going on inside me. I, it, was, it was confirmation, yes, on a very literal level, but I suddenly saw in the spirit, I, I just knew. I saw I was, I was there. I didn't choose to. I just sat down on a chair and started yakking with some kiwis. God just caught me up in the spirit. There's another um, story I have, uh, funny enough, to do with Bradford on Avon again. Uh, an old prayer warrior lady um, I knew in the UK, she used to live in Bradford on Avon, and she'd go into town. She'd walk down the hill um, into, the, into the town center. And one of the ways the Lord would speak to her at times is she would just get lead feet or lead legs almost. That's how she described it, not literally, but she, her legs would just stop. And she came to knew, like she just knew after a while through growing with the Lord that that was when uh, she had a word for someone or she needed to talk to someone in need or something was going on. The spirit was just swooping and taking it. And um, she had the most incredible stories, incredible stories of just sharing prophetic words or, or the way the Lord would work through her in acts of kindness. I think also of the other day um, at Extend Camp, I was praying for one of our young people and with, with someone else. And in that moment, just open-eyed, it's hard to explain, but I just saw who that young person would be as an adult if they kept saying yes to Jesus. I saw this, this, this lady, calm, rooted, confident with her words, but just a real gentle authority. I, there was so much going on. I, I, I don't have words to, to fully describe it, but it was such a precious moment for my heart. But I saw something that I couldn't see with my earthly eyes. What was cool about that, the next day, this, this kiddo just made some real cool steps and decisions about who they want to be. And they were different that next day. And it was coming towards and in line with what I saw the previous day. So precious. So precious. One of my heroes in the faith is uh, Jackie Pullinger, who, as a 21-year-old lady in 1966, hopped on a ship in the UK uh, with a 10-pound note in her back pocket and said, God, I'll get off wherever you want me to get off, and I'll minister. And she ended up in Hong Kong, ministering in the walled city there um, amongst atrocious conditions, with the gangs rife um, and all sorts of things going on in that place. Uh, but this woman is <laughs> it's one feisty woman. Um, and she, she's just seen, um, through following the Lord in that area over decades, 
Uh, she has seen a profound breakthrough. Addicts literally coming off heroin without any pain, just praying in tongues over them for hours. Um, and I, I was reading this, this interview of her online recently, and uh, this interviewer said, when, when in, in people who, who had the chance to interview her, those rare occasions, because she hates interviews, um, the general consensus that, is that this lady is formidable. Um, and he said, in my interview, she proceeded to pour cold water on the premise of every single question I asked her. <laughs> um, and we have an example here. At one point, he asked Jackie, um, is your view of eternity and this whole nature of people getting saved in heaven and hell, is that what makes you so driven? And she went, I'm not driven, I'm led. At which point he went, oh, here we go. Um, <laughs> and so he said, what's the difference? And she said, addicts are driven. Satan drives, the Holy Spirit leads. So I'm not even purpose-driven. I'm hopefully spirit-led. Before reading that, I probably would have described myself as someone who's quite driven at times, but I'm chewing on that one at the moment. <laughs> With all these aspects of being in the Spirit, we have an intimate partnership with Him. And I think when we're in the Spirit, we taste the fruits of the Spirit. You know, you almost just see your shoulders drop as the peace and the love just kicks in and the patience. We taste the fruits of the Spirit, but we also start operating in the power of the Spirit and the gifts of the Spirit. We taste the fruits of the Spirit and we start operating in the power and the gifts of the Spirit. And in the Spirit, we just start seeing things on a whole different level. Holy Spirit starts cranking up the gears in this area. And breakthrough starts happening. Breakthrough is the kingdom of God uh, comes out and is established in us, through us, and also around us. And this can be private or public. It can also be totally out of the blue or off the back of something we're searching for. And, and also, you can be full of joy or grieving your heart out. Because I don't think being in the Spirit is prescriptive or dependent on an emotional state. Case in point, Jesus said, let the children come to me. I love the kids coming out every, every Sunday morning. It's just so cool. Like Half of them haven't even got shoes on. One's got their shoe on their ear. It's all happening. And I just imagine the children being invited to come towards Jesus. And they would see him probably more clearly than adults would in some ways. I think he's a climbing frame. His hair's getting tugged on. He's got a foot in his ear. He's got kids asking him X amount of Y questions. And I imagine him roaring with laughter. Absolutely roaring with laughter. But the same Jesus as well arrives at Bethany to be greeted by Martha and then Mary with the news of Lazarus' death. And the same Jesus, full of the Spirit and in the Spirit, weeps. Weeps in anguish at death. So, being in the Spirit is not prescriptive. or always the same. And so, guys, we've done a deep dive there on, on this phrase of being in the Spirit, but I think it just gives us a lens, like a glasses lens, of how we can view the rest of the passage and also other aspects of following God and, and the Holy Spirit. 
So back to the passage, what we're going to do is we're going to use that lens, just even though we've used the majority of our time to just deep, dive deep into being in the Spirit, we're just going to use that lens to look at the next few verses very briefly. Verse 25, Simeon was waiting. Simeon was waiting. The only ability God needs from us is availability. I love that phrase so much. He, Simeon models surrendering control on timing. And that might sound simple, and it is in a way, but my word, that is not easy or natural to us at times, surrendering control of timing. But Simeon does it, and there's a lot of waiting in the Bible, and I think there's a lot of waiting in our lives too at times. How comfortable are we with waiting for God at the moment? How comfortable are we about surrendering control of timing or perceived control of timing because sometimes we don't even have control over it what situations today would we like to surrender back to God verse 27 Simeon came into the temple how fast did he walk or how slowly did he walk what was the pace of his soul from being in the spirit one of the key aspects, I think, to being in the Spirit is to quote John Mark Comer's book title, to ruthlessly eliminate hurry. Because I don't know about you guys, I just think hurry, for me, it just shuts down so much stuff. Like I miss things around me, I miss important things, I miss God. And I think that, that state of hurry is, is, is one that really blocks us from being in the Spirit. John Mark also identifies... Um, the, the scripture of where our treasure is, there our heart will follow. And I think with that, he, he says often we think of money and time, and rightly so. But he really draws attention to, funnily enough, this word, attention, and what we're giving our attention to. What are we giving our attention to? And he says, what you give your attention to is the person you become, which is a very interesting one. Now, remember at the start, we said Mary, Sim, uh, Mary, Simeon, Mary, Joseph, and Jesus were poor, arguably poor. So how noticeable were they in verse 28 when Simeon had taken Jesus up in his arms? The family who couldn't afford the sacrificial lamb. Now, they were not wearing flash clothes. They didn't smell like well-off people. They didn't look like well-off people. They didn't hold themselves as people used to influence or affluence or power. And also, as blokes, let's be honest, 40-year-old babies all look the same. Let's be honest. So Simeon supernaturally saw in the spirit something he would not have otherwise seen in Jesus. And then from that, in verse 28, Simeon courageously followed up. I've been thinking a bit about this, this whole thing of courage and confidence since talking to Soph's bro about it at Christmas time, and, and just how we can lack confidence but actually have heaps of courage. If we take confidence as, as a real, I don't know, just rooted in oneself, a surety, certainty, but courage is actually the ability to step over the line, to, to have fear, but to still go forward. The root of the word courage is actually from the Latin core, which is heart. Courage and confidence. What was going on for Simeon in that moment?
And also, when we have courage and confidence to be in the Spirit, sometimes that's actually going into rest. Having the courage or confidence to rest. Just chucking that out there, that one. And I think um, for our young people today, I think I mentioned this a couple of weeks ago, there's all sorts of things that are really restricting them at the moment. There's fear of judgment, there's fear of um, rejection, there's fear of getting it wrong. And I think for us, like as church, we can really model in the midst of our own stuff and battle through our own stuff, but we can really model what it is to courageously step forward, to courageously um, follow God, to courageously say, yes, take me in the Spirit, guide me in the Spirit, wherever you want me to. Band, if you want to come up, that'd be awesome, please. Thanks. So how do we respond to this? Being in the Spirit. There's a couple of things for me um, that really struck me when I was praying about this and, um, and preparing. Firstly, I just want to speak to those of us who hear a message like this and think, I'm all good. <laughs> all good. How are you going? All good. For those who are middling, and I'd maybe probably include myself in that category. If I was sat there where you are right now, unless I was feeling really convicted, I'd probably say, yeah, I think I'm, I'm, all, I'm all good. I'm middling. And I think there's a call to more. There is a call to more. Not in a strivey way. Could we get that um, Lloyd-Jones quote up again, please, Glenn? Thank you. Not in a strivey way, but receiving. Receiving the gift that's already been given. The Holy Spirit. And secondly, for men in the room, now look, if you're a lady, of course you can respond as well. But the, the, the two categories I really felt strongly to just highlight, the second was, was for fellas. Men, let's choose to be people who are in the Spirit. Let's choose to be people who are full of the Spirit. The world out there does not have a clue what it means to be a man right now. They really don't. And it's coming at us, left, right, and center, trying to chop us down and trying to change um, the God-given identity we've got. Men, let's be men who are in the Spirit. Let's say yes to God afresh. Whatever that looks like, let's respond. And so I wonder if we just wait on the Lord for a moment. Just, um, I wonder if we just do it in silence, eh? I was reading in Revelation yesterday that there was silence in heaven for half an hour. So if it's good enough for them, it's good enough for us. Let's just wait on, on God for a minute. If, you, if your mind starts going to toasties, thank the Lord for toasties and then come back. Um, but let's just wait on Holy Spirit. You might want to bring your life or your situations where you want to be in the Spirit. Where you want to be like Simeon. Where you want to taste the fruits of the Spirit and operate in the power and the gifts of the Spirit afresh.
Okay, cool. That's awesome. We, we're going to go into um, a last song now, but let's just keep engaging with God. Let's keep talking to Him about this. And just on that, um, being filled with the Spirit, Paul really layered last week that um, the Holy Spirit is not an object, He's a person. And it's very easy actually to slip into thinking about Him in ways which lead to treating Him like an object. Even being filled with the Spirit, I wonder how many of us imagine a jug just topping us up. Well, already we've, ob- we've objectified him again. The Holy Spirit is in us as believers. And of course, he's working around us and he's doing his thing. And there's all sorts kicking off in that area. But he's in us. So for me, when I ask, Holy Spirit, would you fill me? Sure, I'm thinking, God, impart new things. But also, I know you're in me, so fill me to the tips of my fingers and the tips of my toes and the hair on my head. Just fill me. Fill me. And if you've never um, given your life to God before, my word, gosh, we'd love to pray with you. We'd love to, you can do it right now. You can ask the Holy Spirit to fill you. You can turn to Jesus. Turn to Jesus and be led by the Spirit back to a loving Father. But for those of us who are just all good, let's ask for more. Let's ask for more. Let's ask to be filled to overflowing not out of a a striving place. The only time God says to strive in his word is to enter his rest. But let's ask for more knowing that we have got a gift already given to us. 